Hey, this is Sean McKinney from the neighborhood on CBS, and you are listening to the Man Cave Chronicles podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal. You're my boy, Blue. You're A podcast with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the Man Cave, your host, Elias. Jim, welcome to the cave. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me. How are you, man? What's new with you? I'm good, man. I'm I'm, I'm blessed. Uh, feeling blessed to be alive, be working. Uh, you know, have a season two of our show and continue to show the world some good work. Hopefully, uh, congratulations, man! It's one of my favorite shows. Thank you, man. I appreciate that sincerely. Yeah. Thank you. So, so we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that. You've been busy the last few years with Vice Principals, and now uh, you've done some cameos on different shows, and now you're one of the stars in the neighborhood. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great, man. Vice Principals really helped to uh, open the door in, in this industry, and I've been working consistently since I got back from doing that show, and you know, I'm so grateful to. Uh, Sharon Bialy, Bialy Thomas, that casting office, and Dane McBride and Rough House for for opening that door, and Cash Mosley, my manager, for for believing in me and seeing something in me, and and you know getting me into into this door. And for for a lot of us in this industry, man, that's really all you need is somebody to let you in the door a little bit, and then the rest is, you know, up to you. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. So, uh, tell the listeners where where you originally from. I am born and raised in Miami, Florida, uh, Dade County. And I have to say these two neighborhoods or it'll be trouble when I go home. I was, uh, <laughs> I was born and raised in, in Coconut Grove, uh, not the pretty part before somebody thinks like, oh, you're from the Grove. There's two sides to the Grove. I'm, I'm from the projects in Coconut Grove and uh, in an area called Richmond Heights. Um, I grew up in those two, two neighborhoods that uh, I thank God I was you know, born and raised in those areas, just for everything I learned and the friends and family that I have in those areas. Yeah. So how was it growing up there as a kid? How's it what? How was it growing up there as a kid? Uh, it was it, it was great, man. I mean, we, you know, you, you grow up in the hood and, and it's, people have a misconception of what that is. And when you're, in, when you're inside anything, I think you obviously experience it different and see it different than the rest of the world does. But, for us, it really was a, a a community. I I looked just like my father, so there wasn't much I could do and get away with because people knew exactly who I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but we really did grow up in a type of area where you know the kids went outside, we played all day long, and we ran around and just had to be home before the street lights came on. And you know, unfortunately, sometimes you do live in an area an area where you might be exposed to more. Um, you know, to, to more things, more dangers or whatever. But there really was a sense of community and a sense of love where, where, where we grew up. And, you know, every neighborhood has its problems and issues. Yeah. But certainly anyone from the outside couldn't come into there and cause any problems, you know. Did you uh, did you try to stay out of trouble as a kid? I <laughs> I tried to. I, I You know, sometimes you're guilty by association of, <laughs> of, you know, some of the times the people you run with. But... My mother was a corrections officer for like uh, oh, 40 wow. years. She just yeah. retired. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we, we 
we didn't get in too much trouble, and I was very lucky to have my, you know, have my dad as well, and my, my mom and my dad are still together, and, you know, it, it's a blessing to have yeah. great parents and great role models in my life. That's great. So as a kid growing up, uh, what were you into? Sports? Uh, sports, yeah. You, yeah. you know, Miami, listen, any, if anybody tells you different, they're a hater. Miami is the mecca of where all these amazing athletes come from. You know what I mean? And I'm a diehard Miami fan in every capacity, college football, basketball, football. Like, it's, it's I'm a diehard fan. I'm a true fan, which means I'm hurting right now because the Patriots just won a Super Bowl, and they <laughs> are the axis of evil. So, um but yeah, I, I was in the sports, man, and, and wanted to play ball, wanted to play football, wanted to be a quarterback, and not until I got into uh, college did I did I even consider, you know, being being an actor. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Patriots. I'm a Patriots fan. How do you feel about the Miami oh, Dolphins? No. <laughs> oh no! Oh God! How do you feel about the coach from Miami? You're getting a Patriot. The, the new coach. Yeah. Listen, first of all, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy to see a minority be you know get an opportunity. Anytime a minority gets an opportunity. I think that's great. Um, it, it can only help to open the door for for the next one that comes behind him. Um, you know, so I, I'm anxious to see how he does. I, I just yeah. hope that he gets the support that he needs. I hope that uh, our owner can can open up the, the the book and let him do what he needs to do. Let him get rid of who he needs to get rid of, and let's just let's just rebuild. Let, let's try to do everything we can to get a a kid out of Clemson when yeah. he comes out in 2021. So yeah. <laughs> that's my, that's my hope. No, no expectations at all with the Dolphins this coming season. I was, but, you know, surprise me. I was watching the NFL network earlier and they were saying the best thing for them to do is go. zero and 16, get the number one pick. And then you, then you get your quarterback. <laughs> Listen, that, that's what we hope. But Miami has been the definition of mediocrity since I was a kid. Since Dan Marino left, we we find a way every year to finish right in the middle and get a middle round, middle of the round draft pick that doesn't really pan out or you know something goes wrong. And, yeah. But we'll see. And 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 I, and I pray, I pray to God that we change our uniforms. We have the worst uniforms in the history of sport. <laughs> I'm not talking about football. I mean sport. Period. They don't reflect anything that says football yeah. at all. And I, I pray to God they change those uniforms. <laughs> Do you uh do you try to go to games every year when you're down there? Um, when I was coming up, we you know we didn't go to a lot of games at all. I'm I'm happy though. I I was able to for Father's Day. I got my dad some tickets to that uh, Miracle in Miami game. Yeah. He and my uncle went, so uh, they they had a really great time. Um, but I haven't been to a football game in in years. I think the last time I went was like the Dolphins played uh I was the Saints or the Jets years ago. Wow. But but it's been a while for me since I've been to a football game. So so when you were a kid, did you know you wanted to be an actor? Like what drew you? Not at all. I, my my mom is the reason that I yeah. <laughs> that that I'm an actor. When I was in a, I went to a really good community college at the time. It was a community college called yeah. uh, Miami Dade Community College. It's now now it's a four year university. But um, when I was there, it was community college, and I had just gone to the local school because. You know, I didn't know really what else to do when I was in high school. I, I really was interested in being a chef. That that's kind of what I wanted to do. But my uh, my high school had no culinary arts program, so uh, my dad was like, "Just go to the local college and take some classes, and you'll kind of, you know, you might gravitate towards something that you like." And I got there, 
and I remember I was taking a humanities course and I, I wasn't going to class because I was like, oh, people don't care if you don't go when you're in college because you're paying for it yourself. Yeah. You know, so you can skip class as much, <laughs> as much as you want. And my mom was actually like paying for my classes at the time. And I was failing this humanities course and the professor, uh, her name was Karen Martin. And she, uh, she kind of addressed the class, but I felt like she was looking right at me and she was like, listen, I, I'm a part of the theater department. We're doing this play. If you audition for it, you'll get extra credit. It can help you if you're in, you know, in a place where your, your grades aren't looking too good. And so in my head, I was like, listen, lady, I'm from the hood. Like, I don't, I don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I'm not getting on stage. And I go home, and my, and my mom is like, so what's up with that class? Like, how's everything going? And I was like, oh, I'll be all right. The professor had mentioned if we auditioned for this play, you can get extra credit. And without missing a beat, my mom said, your ass is auditioning. And uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> you know, she, she kind of made me go audition for this play. And it was, uh, it was what's, what's called Commedia dell'arte, which is like Italian mask acting. And, you know, a, a kid being born and raised in the project had no idea what the hell was going on. Like, I had no idea what they were doing. But I just kind of went in. I, I got kind of competitive. And the moment I kind of got on stage, and I, I felt like I could kind of do, as cliche as it sounds, I felt like I could do anything I wanted. Yeah. And I, it really allowed me to kind of to blossom and to, to grow. And, you know, be, being a male growing up in this Western culture where – so suppressed with emotions and everything. And when I got on stage, I felt like I'm allowed here to do anything I want and not really be judged on it. And that, that's kind of what really drew me to it. And um, shortly after that, they offered me a theater scholarship and wow. some friends, me and my friends got together. We started a, a theater company there in Miami and that's kind of how it all began. So when you told your, when you told your parents that you wanted to get into the acting role, what was their reaction? I have extremely supportive parents. They 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 never bad than I. Like yeah. they never questioned it. They you know they were used to seeing me run around the house and be silly and you know and uh, just kind of be. I'm, I'm a middle child, so I think I'm naturally kind of. I, I figure things out. I go and I explore. I get into a lot of different things, and you know the middle child is usually the artist. You know, and we uh, <laughs> we we figure things out on our own. So my parents never ever discouraged me from 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 pursuing it and i think i always felt like when i first started doing this that that it wasn't quote unquote a real job so in my head i was always like well i'll do i'll get a real job like become a cop or something and then i'll act on the side because my friends and i had our own theater company like and that, to me that was enough at the time yeah but you know i'm a person of faith and you know the good lord had other plans and you know, I came out to L.A. for a little bit, and I left L.A., and I came back. And yeah. when I came back the second time is when our vice principals happened, and the rest of the story has me here talking to you. So, yeah. so how did you uh, how did you land that gig for vice principals? Well, I had um, I had lived in L.A. for about four and a half years, and, you know, I had done one or two things here, then a couple of commercials and a couple of guest stars. The more important part was I had met a lot of different casting directors who, you know, who thought I was talented, whatever. And so I, I was here for about four and a half years and, and I moved back to Miami for about a year and a half. And I was going to, I was trying to become a police officer and my manager, Tash Mosley had me come back to LA for what I thought was just going to be a weekend. 
I was going in to audition for some show. I, I forget what it was now. And uh, I came back here for what I thought was going to be that weekend, and, and a lot of things just unfolded, man. Like like it really did. It, it's a long story, but but it unfolded in a way that I knew that something divine was going to happen, and you know that that yeah. that God Himself was saying, "This is where I need you to be." And I ended up being here about two and a half months to me being back here in L.A. Um, I went in to audition for Vice Principals. It was a casting director from the office, uh, B. Ali Thomas, and casting director by the name of uh, uh, Russell, Russell Scott, I believe, um, who had saw me do a showcase. I did one showcase my whole life here in L.A., and he happened to be there. He really liked me. He sent me to do a, another show, and then he called me in to read for Vice Principals. And I went in that one time, and they were like, oh, he's really good, and they had me come back in. And when I went in the second time, uh, Danny McBride and his whole team was in the room, and I read with the casting director, and then she was like, uh, she goes, okay, now you're going to read with Danny. Are you ready? <laughs> and me being like a cocky bastard, I was like, is he ready? <laughs> you know what I mean? And what was his but, reaction well, when you said yeah. that? He lost it laughing, man. He he lost it laughing, and we we ended up uh, doing the scene, and then we kind of went back and forth improv a little bit, and, and I have an improv background. I'm you know I, I'm used to doing like street theater and like guerrilla theater, and, yeah. You know improv and improv and whatnot. And I remember when I was done, um, he he and the casting director were very complimentary, and then uh, the casting director she asked me, she said, "Were well, you nervous?" And I was like, "I oh, maybe a little." And then Danny looked at me right in the eyes and he said, well, you shouldn't be because you nailed it. And I remember at that point kind of being like, I don't really care what happens. Like to get that from him, like I was, you know, I was good. It felt great to get that kind of validation, uh, you know, from somebody I I truly respect in this business. Mm -hmm. And then a few weeks later, I I, I remember I was, uh, my buddies and I had an apartment together and we, we, we survived off of like Burger King and Subway coupons. That's how we ate. And uh, <laughs> I remember we were putting together our coupons to try to eat some dinner, and my manager called, and I was and I remember answering the phone and going, "Hey man, I gotta call you back because we're trying to eat dinner right now." So I'm trying to put together these coupons, and he was like, uh, "He's like, no, 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 you gotta take this call." And uh, then he told me that you know I had the part, wow. and you know my you know my life my life really did change after yeah. you know after that. Um, so that's great. So I mentioned earlier yeah. that you know the, now the, you know the listeners know you as Malcolm from the neighborhood. Uh, what drew you on that project? Uh, to, to be quite honest, man, it, it was funny because I, I were, like I mentioned, we, we have a theater company, and I come from the stage, and we do yeah. a lot of intense, dramatic, dramatic work. And I always felt like that—that's my forte—is is, is dramatic work. And uh, I mean, I, I still, <laughs> I still feel that way, but. When I did Vice Principals, a lot of people thought I was a stand-up comedian, and I've never in my life done stand-up, nor do I plan on attempting to do stand-up. I mean, who knows, one day maybe, but I think that is one of the highest forms of art that anyone can attempt to do, to to do stand-up. And uh, so a lot of my auditions after that became about all these comedic auditions, which I don't mind. I mean, I understand comedy very well. And I remember going into that pilot season I had kind of told my reps, you know, I, I want to be geared towards more dramatic things and <laughs> and whatnot. And pilot season is, is rough, man. If you if you're fortunate enough to be in a place where 
you know, you're, I don't know what, what I guess say to say in demand or you're getting a lot of auditions. You can have two to three auditions a day, sometimes yeah. more during privacy. It, you know, it gets crazy. And I remember when the neighborhood audition came along, I initially went in to read for Marcel Spears, uh, his character for Marty, really? the guy who plays my little brother. And, and I initially, my reaction, I told my manager, I was like, listen, I can't do this. Like this is, I'm too old for this role. And it's kind of, it's not really in my wheelhouse. But he was like, listen, just go in, just just do your thing, and, you know, just, just take it. It's a great casting office at uh, Lisa Miller-Katz, who was amazing and, and believes in me and, and, you know, called me in to read. But I went in to read for it, and then they wanted to test me, which is another round of, of auditioning. And um, I went in, and it was me and, and Marcel, Marcel, who, who plays Marty. Yeah. And he and I reading for the role of, of Marty. And, I, and to honest to God, I was like, oh, this kid's going to get it. You know what I mean? Like, he's much, he's extremely talented, extremely talented, and much better suited for, for this than I am. So I just thought, like, oh, this will be cool when you test. Sometimes you get to raise your quote up as an actor, so this will help me. And that's all I was really looking at it as. And then I, so I read for the role, and I walked out of the room. And when I got to my car, my manager called, and he said, hey, they want to bring you back in for the, the role of the older brother. And I'll admit, I had not read the full script, you know, which is kind of taboo. But I had the policies and I was busy. Yeah. And I was like, what older, what older brother? <laughs> and so he was like, man, go read the script. I, I go and I read the full script and I read Malcolm. And I was like, oh, like this, this I can do. You know what I mean? Especially the pilot. I was like, this I can really, you know, I can do. And I, I feel like it's really trying to say something. Yeah. And then I met Jim. I met Jim Reynolds. Uh, we had like a real the writer creator Jim Reynolds of the show. We had like a twenty minute conversation before I went in to to read for the role with Malcolm. And he is one of the most genuine, just just I think just you know deepest person people that you will ever come across. And his vision for what he's trying to do with this show and what he's trying to say not just about race relations, but about humanity as a whole, I think needs to be heard. And we don't, we don't hear it at all, and especially in the climate that we live in now. And once I really spoke to him and I understood where he was coming from, and he, he truly, you know, told me, he was a fan of mine from Vice Principals, and I, I had no idea, he was like a big fan of the show. And, um, and we, we had a real good conversation, and I remember going in to read, I was the only one there, it was like 6 o'clock at night, and I, you know, I did, I read for it. And then like a couple of weeks later, they, you know, I got the part. Yeah. And the, the, the role, yeah. the role fits you and Marcel does a great job on his uh, character also. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's that, that, that kid's so talented, man. I, I cannot wait for the world to truly see all, all that he has to offer. And he's yeah. an incredible stage actor as well. And, and couldn't be a nicer, like a nicer dude. You know, we truly feel like we, you know, we have so much love for each other and we are genuine friends, you know, which, which I don't say lightly, you know. How would you describe Malcolm? I think, I think the great thing about Malcolm is that he's so relatable to a lot of, not just inner city kids, but like kids or, or young people in general that feel like the world doesn't really see them. Yeah. And that they have so much to offer, but there are certain labels and certain perceptions that we have to get past. Because the moment, and especially be, especially being black, especially being from a certain place, 
you know, I, I was telling someone else this, like if you, it's unfortunate, but it's my belief and it's my contention that if you, you know, if, if you see like a white kid and, and they, live, they live at home and they're unemployed, you might just say, yeah, they're unemployed. They're trying to figure it out. But if you're black and you're living at home and you don't have a job, you don't really get that same reaction. It's a different connotation to you being unemployed and it's not linked to you just being circumstantial. It's linked to your intellect. It's linked to you not having motivation or anything like that. And that's not the case with this kid. He's extremely well read. People pay attention, but almost every episode, you know, he's into a different book and he's thoughtful. He's insightful. And, you know, he, he was great at one thing in his life and he's trying to figure out what that next step is. And I think that's what's so relatable to a lot of people, not just in this country, but, you know, um, in this world that, you know, sometimes we all get to that place in life where we don't know what the next step is, but we have to go ahead and take that step, whether it's, you know, whether we see the road fully or not, you have to take that next step. And I think that's where Malcolm kind of is in his life. And also seeing one of the beautiful things about this show is seeing a black family express love and, and express the ability to, to want to communicate with each other. Cause we don't see that a lot, you know, on, on TV or wherever it is, you know, in this, in this country, especially. You're right about that. Yeah. So like for the listeners that haven't seen the show, how do you explain to them what, like what the show is about? Uh, it's, it's, for, first of all, you're going to laugh. I think it's one of the few shows that, that you can really sit your entire family down in front of. Yeah. And I, that, I, that didn't hit me until, you know, my, my little cousin, you know, watched the show. And I have little cousins who could not watch Vice Principles because of, you know, the language and yeah. stuff like that. But I, I really describe it as you, you, you see this well-meaning, good-hearted uh, person that, that, is immersed into a culture he doesn't understand and he doesn't know, and he's trying to figure it out. And it, it's dealing with, there, there are undertones of, of real issues, but they're dealt with in a, through a comedic lens. So I think what's great is that we, we all sit here and we have these ideas about other cultures, right? But you will never say it to me. I'll never say it to you. And people will never say it to each other. And through this show, you see certain thoughts and ideas said out loud. And everybody can watch it and go, yeah, I really did think that about black people. Or I really did think that about white people. Yeah. And you're watching it through a, through a comedic lens. And the great thing is that humor is one of the most disarming things in the world. You know what I mean? And, and you get to watch people truly communicate and ask those questions that, that people, you know, will be at the office talking about the next day. The episode about, you know, <laughs> about why black people use wash rags. And why white people don't, or or whatever you know, whatever it is, or those small things about you know the black black women and their hair, and yeah. all types of issues that that we can really get into. And um, so I, I think for anybody, you're watching the show, and you're going to see you're, you're going to see questions that you really want to ask a person that doesn't look like you through a comedic lens be answered. Yeah. How how is it working with that cast? Because that's an amazing cast between Cedric, Max, Beth. Yeah, listen. It doesn't. I've been. I've been very fortunate. I will say I've been fortunate with TV and film that I've come into a lot of great, um, a lot of great casts, and this ranks right at the top because it does. It doesn't always work out that way. And you know, working with Cedric, he's a comedic genius and a and a a, you know king of comedy. 
And I've been uh, watching him since I was a kid and watching Pacina, who plays my mom. I watch her every night on Martin. You know the reruns, pardon this uh, fire truck going by. But um, I watch her every night on Martin, watch the reruns, and watching watching Sad for years. And to have them playing my parents is really it's extremely humbling, man. And, and, and Max, Max Greenfield and, and, and Beth are both legends in their own right and what they've done. Yeah. And uh, two of the most giving and, and you know, just the smartest actors you ever come across. Yeah. And everybody gets along yeah, that's on great. this show. And everybody everybody cares about the project. It's yeah. great. Now, uh, the chemistry between Cedric and Max is like, it's hilarious when they when them two go at it. Yeah. Like, do, do, you, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you ever like find yourself like laughing when they start talking to each other? Absolutely, we 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 all do it. Like yeah. we, it's funny because you'll you'll watch a show. It, it's interesting to kind of be there every single day and, and watch this stuff play out and watch the you know the structure of the show be be built. And a lot of the times, I think people who aren't you know in the in industry will watch a show and they don't really get to see from behind the scenes how it's being built and the parallels and the storylines that are coming across. And um, you know, the Max and Cedric, I mean, they're, they're, they're the odd couple, you know what I mean? Which is kind of a, a comedy structure that's been around for years. That's always funny just because you see people that are polar opposites forced to be in the same space with each other. And those two happen to be great at what they do. So watching that play out is, um, <laughs> is always funny. And, it, and it's a blessing to be there on set to watch, uh, to watch that play out. So one of my favorite episodes is the one where you're playing basketball and those kids come yeah. after you for your sneakers. <laughs> Do you yeah. have what is one of your favorite scenes or episode that you were in? That... Um, I just I, I I don't I don't watch I don't watch the stuff that I do, but but I do remember the moments that I have like going through it, and particular with this show, I think the uh, the moment that I was allowed to have. Uh, with Cedric when he and Malcolm were having a, a father and son conversation um, just about their communication, uh, I think was one of my favorite moments. And then Malcolm talking to the little kid uh, after they took my shoes, checking for my shoes, uh, talk, talking to him has been my, my favorite moments on this show just because I think watching a father and son communicate with each other that way being African-American, we don't get to see that on TV at all. Yeah. Truly at all, we don't. And watching an, an older, a somewhat older black male talk to a younger black male is so vital and so important. And those type of things need to be seen because they do happen. You know, the media doesn't show that, TV doesn't show that, but these are conversations that do happen. And we do care about each other. We do love each other. And so those two moments have been you know, been my favorite moments uh, so far. So now when you meet people that come up to you, because you said, you know, you taught theater also. Uh, what, what, is some yeah. of, what is some advice you give to somebody that comes up to you and says, hey, I want to be an actor? Um, it, it happens a lot. I think people, you know, people do it in person. People do it through, through social media. But, you know, I, I tell most people, especially my friends who are back home or somewhere else, like, and, and I know, some people don't like to hear this, but I feel like in this moment where we live right now, you kind of have to get to L.A. or get to New York. And some people will tell you, well, you can make it happen where you are. And, and that's true. And God bless you if you can. You know, if you live in Miami, you want to make it 
somehow make it there where Atlanta or anywhere else. It doesn't mean that's impossible, but your chances are also magn- you know, more so magnified. Yeah. If you first of all just just get to get to LA, get to New York, and and start whatever you do, if you're willing to struggle or do whatever it is in a climate in a place that's not here, then you can do it here. And I think you 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 have to start and, and realize there's nothing that stops you at this moment from getting better, whether that's writing whether that's studying, whether that's creating. If you have a camera, just shoot. I remember being at a, uh, um, God, what was it? It was something, and I had the, the pleasure of meeting uh, Robert Townsend. Okay. And Robert Townsend was speaking to this audience, and he was answering this lady's question. And she was saying, I have this camera, and I'm trying to create this thing. And he stopped her and said, you got a camera? And she said, yes. He goes, then start filming. And she said, no, no, but I need to, and he goes, start filming she, she she kept trying to come up with all these excuses and he was like just start filming that's it and, and i think a lot of people need to you know maybe hear that it's to just start doing it you, you will get better you know what i mean you will get better you will figure it out just start doing it come up with ideas get get with people who think like you get with people who don't think like you and come up with ideas go to film festivals Go to go to the to the movies and, and study your favorite actors and, and find out about your craft and learn as much as you can. Don't expect anyone to give you anything. Go out there and just start doing it, and, and you will truly start to figure this you know figure this thing out. How do you try to improve your acting skills every day? I know you've been acting for years, but to keep up with mm-hmm. everything, like what do you do? I think for, for me, it's, it's, it's observation. That that's been my my greatest tool my whole life is is the observation of humanity as a whole and watching different people. Like if we, when I uh, when I was in school, um, for a very brief time, I went to a conservatory program, and for like a semester before I realized I couldn't I couldn't learn that way. But which which also led me to realize in what my greatest the greatest training for me has been like real life and yeah. and watching people and like when I was going to that school that was downtown and, and even living downtown now uh, watching the life around me and and watching people that are in different positions in life watching really really filthy rich execs walk by me and watching the way they behave and watching people who are unfortunately in, in other situations who may not have a place to live and watching how they behave and talking to people all the time and talking to people who don't look like me and not judging not judging anybody and not not judging myself and being so hard on myself, allowing myself to feel different things and react to different things and study different things and but but observation's been the greatest tool because you know, when you go out to play anything, there's going to be some of you in there. There's going to be things that you pull from that are different sources. And for me, it's like if I'm playing somebody that might have a lot of ticks or quirks, I, I truly, truly remember, you know, people that I spoke to that may behave that way or somebody that I saw that may have been doing that. And I try to just observe as much as I can and, and process it, you know, the, the best way I know how. So when you're not acting and you're not working, uh, what do you like to do for fun? Um, mostly my my buddies just left my place now, and we're uh, trying to get <laughs> trying to get back in shape and uh, trying to 
write. I'm, I'm, I guess writing is considered part of what I do, but, but trying to write as much as I can has been, it's, to me it is fun. It's more frustrating than acting is, but trying to write, man, trying to write as much as I can, trying to read as much as I can, and um, that, that's been taking up most of, you know, most of my time. Yeah. Uh, writing, writing as much as I can and, and reading as much as I can. Yeah. Are, you, uh, are you involved in any uh, charities? A buddy of mine, uh, uh, Thomas Thomas Sadowski, was an incredible incredible actor. Um, he uh, got me involved in a charity called War Child, which deals with a lot of uh, children who are displaced, women and children who are displaced from atrocities um, in third world countries and other places from war from war torn uh, countries. And um, I really am finding myself now trying to get more involved in, in more things, and I really want to you know, do do something that's geared towards, you know, kids and kids, especially from underserved communities. And that was one of the reasons we started our theater company in Miami was a voice for, you know, minorities who were a group of minorities who started this company because we were tired of waiting for people to try to cast us for Black History Month or when they needed a Latino to play whatever it was and or when they needed a woman to do whatever it was. So we started our own company and was like, we're going to do this the way acting should be, that, that the talent should get the part, point blank, period. And, you know. Yeah. Now, do you have a, do you have any other upcoming projects that you want to tell the listeners about? Uh, yeah, I did a, 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 a very small part in a film called Boss Level that's coming out with uh, Frank Grillo, who's a, 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 an incredible action star. Uh, Mel Gibson's in it. Naomi Watts is in it. A bunch of people are in it. Um, uh, so that'll be coming out soon. Uh, I think the episode I did of Room 104 just came out uh, like last month sometime, which was uh, which was really cool. And if you haven't watched Room 104 on HBO, you should definitely go check it out. And uh, and yeah, just, just writing my own writing my own work, man. Yeah. That's uh, it. And, and lastly, how can the listeners find you on social media? Uh, I would admit I'm not great at social media, but I am on it. It's uh, at Sion Kenny, my, my full name. Uh, I have a weird first name. It's Sion. It's not Sean, <laughs> even though it looks like if people look at my name and just automatically go, yeah, Sean. But uh, at Sion McKinney, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter as well. All right. I want to thank you for coming on, man. This was fun. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And my apologies again. For missing that first uh, that first appointment, uh, no, so nope. the world knows <laughs> he was a gentleman and allowed me to come back on the show. I'm, I'm a scatterbrain and I missed our first appointment, so thank you, brother, and I apologize for missing that first <laughs> that first opportunity. <laughs> no problem. Let's get you back on uh, when season two when season two comes back up. Anytime, man. Please feel free. Anytime. I'd love to. Life, I'm feeling content. I said what I felt because I felt what I meant. A little more strut to my step, a little more fight when I rap, and it's bright when it's kept in the right perspective. In a tight collective, anything that you want, you can get it. And don't let him tell you otherwise. Don't fall back, bow down, and don't compromise. It's our promise. See a lot of dollars, see a lot of people that aren't being honest. See a lot of friends, and you see a lot of folks. Live by the code, it's the way it goes. Hi. She out here on the road. She out here on the road. 
So let's raise a glass to the future and the past. Things you never had help you blaze your path. But you won't see it at first sight. Go get them like it's your birthright. Make them feel something. Get a little vocal. You know it all works out the way it's supposed to. Don't bend a fold. Break the mold. Head high. It's the code. Yes, I promise. See a lot of dollars. See a lot of people that I'm being honest. See a lot of friends and you see a lot of folks. Live by the code. It's the way it goes. Hi. She out here on 